Voyage, welcome. Uh, I don't know if you're aware, but this is now going to be our first episode of the year 5783. And uh, how are you doing in this new Jewish New Year? Well, I'm glad to know that it is a new Jewish year. Um, I was not really uh, keeping track of that, but I'm, I'm glad that you told me. Yeah, um, I I'm noticed gonna... you didn't wish me a happy Shana Torah, so... I'm going to pretend like I, I can say that, but like, I know I really can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's uh, the, I think what's currently going on in the world is super interesting outside of like the Jewish new year. Um, I think especially in the middle East, what's going on, it's been really, really crazy. And I, we really kind of wanted to encapsulate a little bit of like the history and like the like sentiment behind protests that's happening in that region. So this is our episode of a little bit on exploring what is happening in Iran right now and what can we kind of learn from these protests. So if you want to just start us off, Mr. Moore. Yeah, and I think uh, Iran, uh, speaking of 5783 and you know long calendars, is a country that traces back its history very proudly to a, a very long line of, of empires uh, and flourishing civilizations. You know, you have the various Persian uh, empires of old, the Sassanids who were against the Romans, and then later in the time, like the Ottomans, the Sasanians, who really have held this sort of Central Asian, Middle Eastern territory very strongly, and through all major architectural achievements that a lot of people in Iran uh, think see as a pretty important part of their legacy, uh, this kind of legacy of strength and of imperialism and architectural grand grandiosity. Um, but, you know, sort of this sort of process of a strong presence there weakened with the emergence of Western imperialism and then ultimately industrialization, which led to them entering the 20th century, uh, somewhat behind a lot of their competitors uh, and even behind the Ottoman Empire, which itself was, you know, seen as the quote unquote sick man of Europe, sort of behind the times. Uh, and so there's some struggling going on in Iran and adapting to the new situations of the 20th century. Which and that sort of crucial period there then sets up some of the history for what we're seeing uh, now um, in, a, in more of a roundabout way. Yeah, and before we got kind of like delve a little bit more into the history, we kind of also wanted to talk a little bit about what is happening right now. Um, as I'm sure you guys have seen in the news, there was the unfortunate killing of Masa Amini who was a, I believe, 23-year-old woman in Iran whose family was visiting the region. And she was like detained by the Iranian police for not wearing her headscarf properly. And as a result, um, I think she, she was like beaten, tortured, and eventually even killed by these individuals. Um, not, like, not immediately, but she was hospitalized in such a critical condition that she lost her life at the hospital yeah and and specifically the police that got her were, were a group called the morality police that iran has which are specifically in charge of enforcing their religious laws and their specific religious modesty laws and heavily target women typically and uh, of course there's a f what you know the protesters and what independent sources say and then the, the official government response to what has happened has just been to say that the, they're calling for an investigation and is clearly trying to make it difficult for information to get out, going as far as to shut down the internet in the country of Iran to prevent reports from both that incident as well as the protests that are now occurring from being easily shared or communicated within the country or to the outside world. 
Um, and it's been very violent there. There's been a lot of student protests and women marching in the streets. And it's all in response because, you know, this, this, this crucial death, uh, very clearly by looking at the, you know, medical reports, uh, in, in just killing in like Morality police at uh, custody, it's just part of a trend of the recent years in Iran of oppression towards women, which is itself just one of the many problems these protesters are actually seeing in their country. Yeah, and I, I think what makes the severity of this issue so large is because Mahasa Amini was really not doing anything that extreme, right? She was still wearing a headscarf, except she was partially wearing it a little bit loose, so some of her hair was showing, and her family begged for her to not be detained, but the morality police at the time did not really care. They took her into custody, and the unfortunate events unfolded. And I think what really sparked this in turn like into like revolving like nationwide protest is the fact <laughs> that it's like <laughs> such a give small me a second issue. there might be another <laughs> yeah this seems like such a small issue in the grand scheme of things right like just not wearing it just slightly incorrectly not even like not wearing it at all which like would be a lot more detrimental in that region but the fact that she was like slightly wearing it improperly led to an entire killing is absolutely like atrocious like what if someone does like something far worse according to the morality police standards like are they going to go after their entire family like that sort of precedent was like like it was being more and more established by the like the um extreme islamists in the region and it's led to this very like very backed or like at least emotion filled protesting that has led to like i think hundreds being arrested and dozens even being killed by the police and a lot of this has not been properly reported once again because of the fact that like there's not a lot of like free media coverage in the region and then on top of that like internet being completely shut down and everything yeah another interesting thing to note about maslamini is she is a member of iran's kurdish minority um, but in the anger against this isn't in any way restricted to that group. It's it's a very large um, movement of uh, especially young Iranians of a variety of different backgrounds, socioeconomic and ethnic, um, that that are motivating this rage in the streets. And and the government of the uh, the Revolution Islamic Republic of Iran, uh, and led by the Ayatollah, is very much struggling to maintain its legitimacy and to try to deal with this protest movement at the moment. Uh, and I used to have kind of more background than me, I think, and sort of how they got to the establishment of that government. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm currently in, in an architectural course that's covering a lot of the ancient Persian uh, history and stuff, because it's a architecture before 1750. But a lot of the um, Iranians, you know, sort of modern history prior to uh there's a, there's basically just a gap in my knowledge of iranian history that i think you might have a better say on me than me yeah for sure and iran has a really really rich history and i think it's just evolved so much over time so i think we're going to be limiting ourselves closer to what's happened in the 20th century in iran just to provide us a little bit more context of how we can interpret the events because what it really seems like at the end of the day is that if Masa Amini decided to not even wear a head robe maybe 60-ish years ago, that would have been considered the norm 
in the region, right? It, Iran used to be a very, very progressive, very westernized nation, even more than a lot of other Western countries themselves. It had embraced this entire aspect of becoming somewhat of a democratic nation, or at least somewhat of a like, very, like, progressive nation at the end of the day. And it's something that set the region apart from a lot of the other countries around it. And it made it a really powerful ally of the United States and other Western powers, because not only did they have a lot of oil, but they were embracing a lot of Western institutions, if not a fully democratic government at the time. So let's just see kind of like how we got to that, right? One of the, uh, it kind of started with the establishment of a constitutional monarchy in the 1920s. And that started with the establishment of the very first monarch who's, who was named Reza Shah, right? He, um, Reza Shah was a very, very impactful individual and he ruled for almost 16 years. But one of the things that led to his particular downfall in the region um, was the fact that he had a support of the German government during World War II. So when they were like pro-Nazi and everything, he refused to remove Germany and its soldiers from the nation, which led to a UK and Soviet invasion of the country. And they ended up kicking, obviously, the Germans out of the region. They like stampeded through the really weak Iranian military. But also they set up this very um, influential, what's it called, relationship between the two but it, it was not necessarily just like influential in that manner but it was somewhat also like colonialist mindset right because now this very like western nation was taking over this nation that did not have the same resources if but they did have oil but that was very important because at that time that started the ruling of the second constitutional monarch who was the actually the son of reza shah and his name was muhammad Pahlavi shah right so shah is just the name of the ruler usually so we're just kind of like calling him by his appropriate title. So um, Mohammed Reza Shah was now the leader of the country in uh, 1941. And he introduced a lot of differences from his like father's ruling. So his father was very like notable for introducing socioeconomic reforms, reorganizing the army, government administrations, finances. And at that state, at, like at that state, like, the Iranian government really valued militarism, secularism, anti-communism. So it would seem like a very like pro-Western like country, but still somewhat neutral under his father. But he took it to another step because after these Western uh, countries, or at least Westernized countries were now in the region, um, his son had to somewhat appease them, but also had to be a ruler from that region to like not only connect with his subjects per se, but to also like make sure that the quote unquote colonialists were also being appeased at that time, right? So under that government, he started meeting with FDR. He introduced a lot more like westernized reforms. And I think something that's very known about Reza Shah's rule is that he was very, very progressive. He started that really, really pro like westernizing movement in the country, which started to hide religion from the public sphere as Previously, it was really not hidden. That's why you had this Shia-Sunni split and everything. And that was really ingrained in the culture, in, in the nation's history. But what Reza Shah ended up, sorry, his son, Mohammed Shah, ended up doing was that fact that he kind of like deviated from that 
kind of hid everything from the public sphere and introduced like a full on like political free like pol so there was still somewhat po uh, political repression but very like progressive freedoms especially for women at that time they enjoyed some of the highest freedoms that they had ever enjoyed in the entirety of the world even compared to some of their like western um counterparts and that continued for a little while until in 19 um uh, until 1951, when uh, Mohammed Shah's prime minister at the time had planned a vote which would take all the oil from the country, which was per currently being basically like given to the UK and the Soviet Union for really, really cheap prices. And that was going to be nationalized. So the CIA and MI6 decided to organize a coup, which initially failed, but then was able to be successful and removed the prime minister. And at that time, Mohammad Reza Shah ended up leaving the region because he, he appointed the uh, prime minister originally, but then he ended up coming back. They decided, okay, we're not going to like do any of that shit, do the, any of the shenanigans of trying to like nationalize our oil industry any like in any sort of manner and we're to continue this relationship that we have set up with these western powers so it kind of set up this precedence of like kind of exploitation of by western nations and if there was any way to like move away from that that had been voted on by the government nothing could really be done without a coup being funded yeah. and so it, basically for a lot of the you know, Mohammed Plavi's reign, there was a lot of freedom for, like, women in specific things, but it sounded like when we talked about, like, hiding, like, religion, um, there is some, you know, there individual rights, especially for women, were protected, but religious rights, and, like, sort of those collective rights um, were often, you know, sort of, by hiding religion, it's sometimes going against religion, which is, of course, a deeply held belief for people, and I know um, from, actually, from my German history classes, some, about his frequent visits to the West, that he was often seen as kind of um, being, living a very ostentatious lifestyle, um, while also uh, employing sometimes brutal tactics to kind of create that stable standard of living for his own people that he wanted to project in sort of any political rights where kind of how diff political rights were a very different category from sort of individual public freedom. Uh, and there's a, a very brutal way to try to kind of maintain that balance under his rule yeah i mean that brutality and that like i i guess that like level of lavishness was very very present in what muhammad shah kind of wanted to kind of like encapture the nation with right he wanted this nation to look as western and as progressive as many of these allies quote-unquote or kind of like colonizers that were around him at the time, but he also wanted to make the country very respectable. His father had started all these economic, um, like progressive, like reforms, and he wanted to continue on that and make Iran into a very powerful nation by modern standards. And you had mentioned that some of these like previous empires, like the Ottoman Empire was kind of struggling at that time when it was involved in the world theater closer to the end of its downfall so it was a really big step back up into what iran used to be in the very past which was a very dominant presence in the region and during this time it was a very dominant presence you had this middle eastern nation which had just completely changed how it used to be it was a like like 
I, I think it was a prime example of what quote unquote U.S. involvement or Western involvement could do to a region and create all this stability. But in the background, there was a lot of problems brewing because while like Mohammed Shah was creating all these great programs to improve education, improve accessibility, increase progressive like freedoms for all these individuals, he was also really, really repressing any sort of political freedom. And close to the end of his rule, there was almost only one party in the entirety of that region. And that was Mohammed Shah's party, right? Basically, he had captured the entire mm -hmm. government, gotten rid of any other political parties that could be involved. And it had just become this constant, like, okay, we're going to do what Mohammed Shah has, is like saying to do because he is the quote unquote constitutional monarch. And under this sort of like ruling and sort of this influence, he set up this like really exploitive deal, which took the oil like nationalism front to a whole like another level because in the 1950s or close to the 1960s he set up this deal with the u.s which would split all of like iran's uh, oil profits with the u.s 50 50 which seems crazy but the u.s was giving them a lot of funding at the time to help them like just become relevant on the world theater and it kind of also continued by the fact that there was this level of modernization that was also being propelled by these Western allies. So Iran at the time really didn't mind, or at least the Shah really didn't mind giving away all these profits in return for all that like recognition, all that legitimacy, all that influence. But eventually this kind of became problematic because once again, all, while all these reforms were happening, all the dissent that typically happens in a normal government where there's this back and forth, like, do we vote on this policy? Do we not? Was just being completely curtailed. Like Iran political prisoners were being like arrested, tortured, right? Like these individuals were not given like a ability to speak for, against the government and they were increasing their defense budget to like, and it, it had become like the region's strongest military power till that point. So, they were using a lot of this military to end like any sort of crackdowns, any sort of protests in like in, in that region in terms of like political reforms. And it got to the point where the like there was just no alternative in the region except Shah's vision of what was happening. And it became really problematic because of all that rich Iranian history that I like mentioned, like it is very, very far reaching. And for a leader to just completely ignore that, get rid of everything that makes Iran Iran and just make it a Western puppet is really, really upsetting to the region. And I think that's really what led the Islamic revolutions that were so, so detrimental in the region and really set up the current day Iran. Yeah, and those, of course, happened in 1979, um, the Iranian Revolution. And one of the interesting things about the government that um, I, the Ayatollahs, well, first one Ayatollah created, is that if you actually look at their constitution, it's in many ways very similar to the U.S. constitution in terms of structure, but it just has this one supreme leader uh, who over, and then the um, oversees it, and then the equivalent of the Supreme Court uh, is also a very much theologically based organization. Uh, and but uh, the actual structure is rather similar to, you know, uh, our our government over here, and so that country go uh, immediately starts off with very rough uh, relationships with America because it's kind of its point. It, it, the revolution is based on an anti-Western view, right? Uh, and so going forward, um, those relationships 
that relationship really only gets worse as the country continues uh, to progress. But for a while, um, the, and of course, there's a huge repression and, and oppression during the time of that revolution and a lot of violence against dissenters and, and people not seen as being religiously upright enough or people who were seen as being too pro the old Shah regime, too pro Western. But but overall, as it's continuing to progress from that initial upheaval and very violent times and, and a continuing back round level of, of oppression that that's just there, if you look solely at the economic standpoint, it, it continues to do okay despite an immediate rash of sanctions against it. Um, until this situation where where Iranians um, do suffer from misjustices, do have to adhere to very strict interpretations of certain religious laws, and, and do have to contend with the possibility of the Ayatollah overstepping um, or overturning their democratically made decisions. Uh, at the end of the day, they, at, as the price they sort of pay for all that, they do earn a fairly stable, a fairly uh, six well uh, functioning economy, but that starts to change as they start to move towards uh, a nuclear program, which uh, leads to a huge influx of sanctions, both by the U.S. but also the EU and the whole United Nations, coordinating on that, um, which immediately starts to have an impact because um, obviously. There's been a background level of them learning to deal with sanctions, and, and some of these extra sanctions were placed in them. The the official line uh, out of Iran was that these will be no different; we can manage. But after they finally put the most strong version of the package on in 2012, um, there is um, an instant, you know, about 10% drop in their economy, and they never were able to grow that up. Um, and, and so sort of the political background that's happening is in 2009, the, there is already a, a big movement of, of concerns about the uh, election being rigged. Um, and that, that was one big protest movement that was successfully pushed down. And, and then just a few years after that protest movement is getting pushed down, Iranians start to suffer again from these massive sanctions, which is really creating a lot of hotbed of unrest. Um, and then going forward, forward in 2017 there's another set of elections um and, and during what these times what ends up happening uh is in 2013 uh some of those concerns were and because of these sanctions uh, a more reformist candidate was allowed to be president but very quickly the ayatollahs sort of started to try to put the brakes in the democratic process in iran um which once again is another factor contributing to this built up frustration um, but during that time, uh, the morality police we're talking about that are at the center of the current controversy and some of those religious strictness enforcement, that was scaled back. And so that's why a lot of women like Masa Amini started to be able to, you know, wear their heads guards a little looser. There started to be, you know, special nightclubs that would open up in some cities, uh, not just in like Tehran, Tehran, which can often be a little bit more liberal than the outlying, but even, you know, more conservative outlying cities. Uh, would sometimes you can kind of skirt around those regulations and restrictions. Um, but, and then of course, ultimately under this reformist prime minister, um, we had the Iran nuclear deal. And so it looked like a lot of the, um, some of the, Iran's democratic constitution or the democratic aspects of its constitution had allowed some reforms to happen. The sanctions were set to be released under the nuclear reform deal. And it looks like Iran was heading in a, in a 
you know, not not a Western direction, but a direction that was improving the human rights of the country in some ways, uh, and also the economic outlook. But then both the Ayatollah in Iran and, of course, Donald Trump in the U.S. sort of started to take more hardline stances. And so in the most recent elections, no one except for extreme conservative people was allowed to run. And so it was very low turnout, a lot of protest votes of people who did turn out, and no one was very happy with the extreme candidates who won and sanctions uh, negotiating to re-enter uh, the um, Iran, a version of the Iran nuclear deal have not really progressed. So the sanctions are still crippling the economy. The morality police are back in full force. And there's just so much discontent with the power of the Ayatollah to restrict the candidate list with the enforcement and the existence of some of these religious modesty laws at all. And then also with the economic situation and the government's refusal to negotiate uh, in a way that leads, leads to a deal. And of course, uh, Iran tries to spin and continue to say that America is the reason why their economy is suffering and America is the reason why there is no nuclear deal. But even Iranians who buy part of that still put a lot of blame on their government. And so that is why it was such a tinderbox kind of ready to explode um, when the reports of Masa Amini went out. And you started to see women uh, leading this protest in a lot of ways, but joined by a cross-section of Iranian society. Yeah, and I, I think it's really interesting that you mentioned that nuclear deal because more recently they've been trying to restore the nuclear deal, at least Biden has been, and that was one of his kind of like, like he mentioned it in his campaign after like Donald Trump had gotten rid of the nuclear deal. He kind of wanted to get back in that sphere. And in 2022, they've tried to have multiple round talks that have just continuously failed. Europeans are getting more and more like uh, just they're just getting more and more like distrustful of the sort of intention that Iran is bringing to the nuclear deal while the U.S. under Biden are just trying to sort of salvage something that Obama was able to create and Trump just immediately slashed. Um, I think it's really going to create an interesting precedent of what is going to make up of that. And if no nuclear deal is reached as the way it is currently, that kind of just gets rid of any sort of international like leverage that the Western nations have on that region or really the international community, right? If, if they have no like per se like deal to abide by, then why like will they listen to about, like why will they like modify any of their like extremism in the region? Why will they like change anything outside of like the protesting? If they can like effectively curtail all the protests by just like, throwing violence at it through like policing and everything or like just bringing the military in like do they really have any sort of intention to change anything and i think the nuclear deal is really really crucial so kind of like bringing it back to the picture of Masa Amini is definitely a really really interesting time for this individual to have gone through this tragic incident because not only is it really pressing the like the the ability of like or any sort of like detaining uh aspect or sorry like curtailing aspect of the iran nuclear deal like whatever it sort of created in that region like any sort of successes that it had it's really showing that like to the iranian people like okay that iran nuclear deal was very important in making sure iran doesn't do these sort of things and now the fact that they're doing these sort of things and they have like a history of doing these sort of things ever since president trump shown that like they need some sort of change in that region. And maybe the only change that they're going to get is by protesting. That's why there's just been such a hard, hard, like, um, 
reason to protest. That's why so many people have been gathering despite this like outright violence against them, despite the fact that the Iranian government has said like these are people that are against the state and they are going to be executed. It is like a fundamental matter of their rights. It's a fundamental matter of like their ability to live properly in the region. And it will be very interesting to see if that will improve as a result of protesting and if an Iran nuclear deal can bring any sort of change there. Yeah, and I think like it's another important note is, you know, nationalism and like religious laws, those are obviously can be very controversial and oppressive, but you will find like-minded believers, like-minded nationalists or, or people with strict interpretation who can be, or who can be, you know, sort of taught or indoctrinated depending on what type of Virgil verbiage you want to use into agreeing with your position on those issues. But something that Iran has also kind of, the government of the Ayatollahs has kind of shot itself in the foot with is plain old economic corruption. All these people are suffering from sanctions. There have been several instances of government's officials finding ways to use state funds to kind of get around the economic hardships. And, you know, as we see this massive protest movement building, uh, back in 2009, with that, those sort of protests back then, America took a very hands-off approach and kind of just watched it happen. And in that instance, the Iranian government was eventually able to sort of, one, first and foremost, crack down on the protests violently, and then do a little bit of appeasement to kind of ease their way back into business as normal. This time, America under President Joe Biden is taking a more active approach and trying to help Iranians uh, such as by, you know, sharing their messages and by attempting to restore internet access um, where possible. And it, so it, it remains to be seen exactly how large this movement can get and, and what sort of changes ultimately might come from it, if any. Yeah. So we'll definitely keep you guys informed if anything does happen in the short term. But hopefully we are around in the long term to see a positive influence in the region or just sort of like positive news about the region. So yeah, for the sake of the people. Yeah. Until then, we'll keep you guys updated. And in case you missed it, we'll let you know.